Hi, this is Pete Best, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we will give you witchcraft. You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Hey, good evening, everybody, unless it's morning, in which case, what the hell are you doing up this early? And welcome to an Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only part, pod, pod, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. the only podcast to re- guarantee to remain carbon neutral. How we're doing that, I haven't got a clue, but I'm told by Kriana we are remaining carbon neutral. Hey, but I am your vaccinated host, The Dome, and this is episode 510. So tonight, it's another mask-mandated semi-quarantine evening here in Area 51. I've got my uh, uh, M91 mask. Actually, it's not an M91. It's an X91. I have no idea what the difference is. It's the oddest thing in the goddamn world. Uh, I think they were made in in North Korea. So I kind of guarantee that they're worthless, but whatever. Uh, and tonight in the episode, it's Comics and Fun with Trevor. Before we get to that, uh, in the Area 51 broadcast facility tonight, sitting in at the help desk and snickersnack bar, it's Commander Cam this week with Hexel Resource and all. I have no idea what that means either, but what the hell. Commander, how are you, my friend? I am doing good. And for your information, Hexel Resource and all is a tanning agent. It's It's black market, so don't tell anyone. But, oh, cool. You know, after watching, you know, that that great musical, George Hamilton, the musical. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to be just like George. I've just decided I need to be like George. So I'm working on that gorgeous tan that he they had in the music or the actor did, obviously. Um, and so I'm working on that using whatever means I can find. So there you go. So, you know, next time, next time you see me, Dome, I, should, I should look like George Hamilton. With that just gorgeous tan. I will look like rich Corinthian leather. Are you still alive, Dub? Do I knock you out? <laughs> I hit a button. Am I back? Yes, you're back. <laughs> oh, cool. Did you did you at least catch did you at least catch my Ricardo Montalban uh, imitation? I did, and I, I I think a skin of rich Corinthian leather is what we all deserve. Okay, Not good, a, good, good. Well, that's that's what I'll be going for here. Excellent, excellent. I noticed that there was a big red light on my microphone that said, "Hey, shithead, you're off." Oh, <laughs> God, I am useless tonight. You know, our guest tonight is a guest we've had on three times. This will be, no, this will be his third time. Two more, and he wins, what is is that? uh, Well, Five-Timers Club. Five-Timers Club, yeah. I I should have been able to count that high, but I clearly can't. Uh, (laughs) Trevor Fernandez-Lankowitz. Trev, welcome back to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Uh, Gentlemen, it's good to be here. No other way I'd rather spend my uh, theoretical Saturday night. Theoretical Saturday night on a Monday night. But yeah, we get that. Um, Trevor is here to talk about his uh, latest uh, book, which is issue three of, believe it or not, Area 51, The Helix Project. Um, Now, what makes this different from Area 51, The Helix Project uh, issues one and two is that this is issue number three. Which makes sense because this is his third time on. And he's about to go into production for issue number four, which we're going to get to in a minute. Having talked about issues one and two, I want to talk to you about something 
that caught my eye, uh, a, a number of things that caught my eye about, about issue number three. Uh, and that is the first thing in the author's preface where you talked about your background in molecular biology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've spent far much, far too much time uh, looking at a microscope. microscope yes. <laughs> One of our former cast members also spent four years in a microbiological lab. And she hated it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, you, you it know, got to her after a while as well. You, you may or may not be able to pick up a, a similar vibe by the fact that I now write comic books. <laughs> and, and she now works as, as a, a uh, for for a computer company as their. Cap, uh, what does she even do anymore? I don't I don't even she's the office think... manager office manager for a computer company i don't think there's words to describe all the things she does you know i think they need to invent new terms for what she does with computers but that's just my opinion yeah i mean she she does amazing things for a for a a company that does computer uh um uh, um yeah it's but one day she just said no i can't do this anymore (laughs) and i get it so yeah and i just and when i read that for the first time i just kind of went how interesting that this is where you ended up so i and and i don't know that we ever talked about how you made that jump from from uh, molecular biology to this well it starts with my good old friend depression (laughs) (laughs) um well, you know, I mean, the, the the what I was, you know, my my degree was in molecular and cellular biology with a focus in genetics. And um, the material was really interesting. There was just a lot of pretension surrounding the academia of it all. And um, despite finding the content really stimulating, I, I it's ironic, I probably read more scientific journals now that I, uh, I'm no longer pursuing that career than I ever did, um, when I was, uh, and, uh, I don't know, there's that just something, ab- something about it that, that made me miserable. And I was often, um, procrastinating schoolwork with, with comics or, or trying to, to absorb content. And, um, you know, I, I think I knew for about a year, um, before I actually pulled the trigger, uh, that I wanted to 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 become a writer and to um, pursue creative endeavors, and um, uh, eventually, I don't know, something something happened one day and things just kind of snapped. And I was like, you know, I, I at the time I had been putting out pretty analytical comic book reviews for maybe about a year and a half, two years, um, and I was like, you know, I, I really think I can put my money where my mouth is and deliver on all of the things that I felt like I wasn't finding in certain books and uh, find ways to reinterpret a lot of the things that I felt was working um, in a lot of other titles. So, you know, uh, they, they tell you to write what you know, and therefore, of course, my first comic had to be a very genetic science-centric yep. sci-fi mm-hmm. noir comic. I get it. Now, The Helix Project... In some ways, the way I've been reading it, and I've been with you on this since the very beginning, mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like I feel like in some ways we've been on this journey together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you guys have been with me uh, since I was just a, a wee lad, <laughs> just and, figuring out how to do this whole thing. And and I feel like it's been an experiment for you. And me, because I feel like you've learned as you've gone along with this. Oh yeah. And and you your your writing style has refined, and your your illustration has gotten better, and and your your whole whole storytelling has gotten much much tighter and precise along the way. What do you think? Uh, how do you how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I you know I've tried to pay special attention with every installment to 
grow as a writer and to grow as a storyteller and a collaborator in something um, as sort of involved as comics. And um, I, I feel like I've definitely been able to do that. And I think the the collaborative success between me and the and the creative team that I work with has certainly yielded greater results every time. Um, yeah, there are certain things that I, I I don't regret early on. You know, as as one would expect, you know, a, a first issue requires a lot of setup and requires some world building and development of character, and um, those things tend to be a little bit slower. So because I, I feel like because I was able to spend the time to develop the thematic and, and emotional sort of stakes of the story in issue one, issue two, I, I, I was at, at a point where I was going to begin to start unraveling those things. And by three, you know, you're, you're on the sort of front portion of the, the midpoint in the story. And that's where, uh, you know, instinctively I, I had to be able to start hitting pretty hard and, um, literally grabbing the readership by the balls and taking off at a sprint. And and so that's kind of where we are, you know, up until what everybody has read, we we got to the sort of middle point climax of the, the series and things get even more nuts from here. I, I don't think that it's a matter of regret at all. I, I just think that it's a matter of your storytelling has gotten better. There's there's a point of it at which everybody knows that their ability to storytell gets better. Their ability as an editor becomes stronger. Their ability as as um, a manager becomes more precise. And I, and I'm seeing a lot of that as these books, each progressive book has come out. To where Cam and I were talking this afternoon uh, before the interview, and I said, son of a bitch, book three was like a bullet. Book three was like a Lamborghini because, uh, you know, and I'm not saying there was anything wrong with book one and book two at all because, you know, we've had this discussion and I really liked book one and I really liked book two. But book three was like, bang. And it just, from the moment it started, it took off, it ran, it was precise, it was clean. Uh, there wasn't any, and I don't want to say wasted space because that's not fair. I'm not sure that there was any wasted space in books one and two. There wasn't any wiggle. It was just a whole lot of straight on here we go. Let's do it. And man, it was really, we got, to, I got to the end of it and I just kind of said, that was really good storytelling. I appreciate it. I'm really, really you, glad to hear that. You're not allowed a lot of room to breathe. Like the other two, they kind of set things up. Like the first one, I think we discussed this when you were here last. And I, one of the things I'd said is the first one, felt a bit slow but it needed to be it needed to take your time you needed to get to know kent you needed to get to know the world he lived in and you mm. needed to get to know his past you needed to take some time to build that and two that was when the story like Dom said started taking, but this one didn't leave you any room to breathe and that's a good thing i think in my opinion because as i'm going through this panel by panel you jump back and forth in time and it's it's razor perfect, you know, to just, you know, you go back and forth with it between go jumping back to tell the story or tell parts of the story we haven't seen yet. Mm. And then coming back to that present moment when they're about to have their first confrontation with uh, the uh, people that are res potentially res potentially responsible for his, for Kent's father's death. So it's, it's, it's very well done. Well, I, I appreciate and, that. Um, yeah, it, you know, there was, uh, I, I felt like with the, the ending of issue two, um, that was the moment where I kind of definitively had every reader in my hand. And I knew that moving forward, um, I needed to, I needed to keep everybody there. So uh, honestly, um, that opening page to issue three is probably my favorite first page I've ever written. Um, not because it's bombastic or crazy, but because everybody gets off of the crazy 
like balls to the wall ending of issue two. And then the next moment is this very rhythmic, very sort of quiet and isolated moment of uh, Kent and M in the car after the event. And there's just a lot of silence and there's the sort of tension that's being built up um, within Kent's own head. And then you have that final shot of her just kind of staring off at him, glaring off at him in the back seat. And you're like, how did we get here? What happened to the dead body? What's going on now? And at that point, you know, like I said, I, I had to I had to keep everybody's jaw hooked. So I used that sort of Tarantino-esque um, strategy of, of telling the story non-linearly to go back to that moment of tension and to go back to the moment that the tension w- was sort of incited um, until we finally get to that sort of slow moment where um, where Kent is is sitting in the bedroom and trying to understand um, M and, and, and her motivations and, and, and parts of himself. And when you think you have that moment of reprieve, you turn the page and there's a, a situation that is um, almost a little bit too similar to the most traumatic moment of his life prior to. And uh, I think we built up to an even crazier last page there where, you know, I've, cer- <laughs> I've certainly built myself some leeway coming into four. Another thing that you did in this book uh, is that you relied a lot on visuals with an economy of dialogue that I didn't notice a lot in book two. Hmm. Book two was a lot of exposition. Uh that I won't say it didn't need to be there, but looking at book three, I will say I enjoyed more in book three. Mm. You let you, you gave your artists a chance to shine in book three and say, here's where I need to be. Here's where I want us to go. And they really did a wonderful job. Thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, we, you know, I've, I've worked hard from the beginning to never, um, overwrite the page or to, um, take away from the fact that comics are a visual medium. You know, it's, it's very tempting as the writer. It's difficult. There's no question about it. Yeah. Yeah. To be, to be super flowery or, or, or try to impress. But, um, I, I mean, if anything, I think I was probably a little bit more wordy in the first one. The second I felt pretty, pretty confident about the economy, but yeah, the third, particularly, you know, because we're, we're sort of, we're, we're waiting in the, in the reverberations from the end of issue two. So I wanted to take advantage of silence because there's a lot that's already sort of implied based off of where we left the story and based off of, you know, the, the events after that moment that we begin to explore so, yeah, I mean, I think t- silence in comics is, is such a valuable tool when used well. And fortunately, um, I have the collaborators behind me that are able to, to help me take the most advantage of that. Let's take a quick moment and, and talk about uh, the visual team that you're you're working with. Is this the same team that you've worked with all along? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, have every intention of making sure that this story is Completed by the same people that started it, yeah. Because there's been a a uh, a sense of oh, I don't know quite how to put this, but there's never a sense of things changing visually throughout this book that I really appreciate. Uh, whereas with other books, with other series, there's kind of a jolt. Mm. when uh an inker or a letterer or or a main artist changes mm. and you just kind of go wow um i feel uncomfortable now and it's going to take me a while to get to that and i haven't there's a consistency that's the word i'm looking for that i've been really comfortable with all along uh and, and i really appreciate that so far and and I'm glad to see that that's going to continue for however long the series continues. Um, the other thing that I really liked about it so far is getting 
a better understanding of the relationship between Kent and Marissa, mm-hmm. which we didn't get until book three. Mm-hmm. And who Marissa actually was, which we got glimpses of, but mm-hmm. didn't really get enough of the backstory to make sense of. We just got glimpses of, but we really got in book three, which I very much appreciated. And now I'm pissed off <laughs> because I've got to wait for book four. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to your latest Kickstarter for book four. So let's take a minute and talk about that if we can. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. The Kickstarter as it currently stands. uh, And we're a couple of days early before we get to it. Oh, it just bumped up again. (laughs) It's about. 75, 80% of the way, 85% of the way there mm-hmm. with 28 days left to go. So I think your your chance of getting funded is uh, oh, pretty damn good. Don't jinx him here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the, uh, the third one came down to the literal wire. So I'm definitely trying not to rest on my laurels here um, and, and trying to, to knock this, uh, this goal out as soon as possible. And hopefully... Hopefully make our way onto some stretch goals, because if we do hit the stretch goals, uh, a lot of people are going to get a lot of free stuff. But it's 88% of the way there right now. And hopefully by the time this airs, it will be there. That that would be my hope, seeing as uh, I pop to it as well. So with one to four being in this, uh, being part of this uh, Kickstarter, my question to you is what can we look forward to in book number four and how long does the helix project go what is what is your arc look like for this book series so uh this is going to be a six issue series um with there being a, a fairly definitive ending um come the final page of six there's a good chance that six might be slightly oversized. You know, every issue of this series so far has been 24 pages of, of story. Um, so there's there's definitely a chance that uh, issue six could be more in the way of 28 to 32 pages. But um, it's it's written. You know, I've, I've finished the entire series on my part. Uh, issue four um, is pretty damn close to being done we're going to be going to letters in about a week so um just trying to stay ahead of the curve but in terms of what you can expect in issue four um you'll definitely man it's so weird having written all six now because now i have to like think about (laughs) you have to remember at what point you started stopped right yeah um so you, you're definitely going to get a little bit of a resolution uh, as to the crazy last page stinger of issue three. That's for sure. Uh, I'm not cruel enough to leave you on a wire for that long. Um, or maybe I am. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> you are going to begin to explore a little bit more about the ideological differences between this Colonel Winters character, this very cold and cruel uh, leader of the Helix Project. and Aptly uh, named, yes. <laughs> yes, aptly named. Thank you. I try. Uh, and uh, Kent's father, Roswell, who who instilled um, very particular lessons in him about humanity and, and what it means to be a, a person. Um, what else is an issue for? Let me see. Uh, there are certainly some things that come to a, a boiling point. Um, with Kent and he faces he, he, it's it's a it's a very bittersweet issue because um Kent is I'm trying to think of the best way not to spoil it um please don't <laughs> yeah it's uh Kent Kent is forced to you know I, I feel like every issue there's a, a major confrontation um at least from from two onward, you know, that that kind of escalates every time. And four is sort of no no exception. There is certainly a, a confrontation between Kent and um, 
something that that is very reminiscent of the source of all of the the sort of negativity in his life um and yeah and then and then moving on into five you know it, i mean I, i'm 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 really excited to get into issue five because uh there's a couple of um couple of a couple of sequences that i think are some of the best that i've i've written throughout the series so far um but, but you know because this is a three issue a six issue series excuse me you know four does be kind of it does kind of begin to move in uh in the direction towards the the climax of of this whole shebang so things are rising stakes are getting crazier you know if you if you take a peek at um the little promo pages for issue four on the kickstarter you know it, it literally shows kent uh locked up in a government facility um and it, and it gives you a little bit of an idea as to where he's at emotionally and mentally and you know at the bottom of one of the pages it shows marissa having gotten tortured by somebody who knows uh perhaps a, a familiar pair of black shoes um but uh you know she's she looks beaten <laughs> and broken and then on the last panel she looks up you know smiling in a pool of her own blood and goes moron so there are certainly um some some veiled motivations at work here in this story uh as we kind of begin to unravel a little bit more about this m character marissa right what her motivations are that's kind of been a hot button topic between the the readers of the series so far and and why she's here and and what she really wants right um there's it's 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 an interesting juxtaposition between that and the last moment that we see her at the end of issue three so, it's been an yeah. interesting series of, of conversations between uh, Cam and I, for sure. Uh, mm. We uh, we have uh, various uh, various conundrums about her. Mm. Um, <laughs> she's an in interesting any, character, for sure. She's she, she with yeah, she's. Uh, She's uh, got uh, issues at any number of levels, many many of which make no make sense and no sense all at the same time. So yeah, uh, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, she worries she worries us all. <laughs> <laughs> she's um, you know, she's certainly a wild card character, uh, and she's been one of the most fun to write. Uh, in, in a cathartic sense, because I think she, you know, I, I said this on a couple of other interviews where I think that every sort of main character in this cast represents uh, a, a part of myself sort of extrapolated. And Marissa is certainly my sort of like sassy, smart ass um, uh, inclinations taken to an extreme. But she is kind of evolved into something even more than that and something almost almost devious and obsessive in a way and you know she does represent a sort of mirror image of kent right you take specific moments that we've seen thus far in their yep. past yep in yep. the present yep. and you know her and, and kent have very much responded differently despite their um their their own dispositions so i think that there's going to be a lot that where we are going to be able to explore moving forward especially now that we've gotten to the point where you know the the two characters had that crazy encounter at the end of three and that encounter is um it, it's another development upon probably what is the most traumatic moment of both of their lives up until that point eerily reminiscent of the encounter they had at the end of one mm -hmm. <laughs> have you have you thought about your next project because you're essentially done with, done writing and producing this project. You're just waiting it to come out layer by layer. Mm -hmm. So, so my my question for you, Trev, is what's next? That's a beautiful question and one that I'm really excited to talk about. So, well, hey, <laughs> um, I do have another larger series um, potentially in the works. Um, for uh, I, uh, but it's something that I would like to take to 
another larger independent publisher just to get it out there. Um, I have scripted the first issue of that and started scripting the second issue of it. Um, and I, I genuinely think that they're the two best things I've ever, I've ever written. Um, but before we get to that point, because there's going to be a lot of wheeling and dealing and communicating with larger entities than myself, just to ensure that, you know, I retain rights and creative control and all of that logistical mumbo jumbo, um, I plan on releasing an anthology book, which is incredibly exciting for me as somebody who has spent the last year working on this soul genre story and as much fun as it's been and as cathartic as it's been working through some of the thematic elements, I really wanted to, um, to step in a direction where I can flex my muscles as a storyteller and, and work in a couple of different spaces. So the, the plan right now is I would like to annually, uh, release an anthology book with each anthology being represented by a numeral on the pocket watch, right? Cause my company is pocket watch press mm -hmm. with this first anthology representing midnight. And there's going to be a sort of loose thematic thread that ties between each of the short stories in the anthology. So for example, uh, and it's very vague, but I, I think that gives me a lot of really fun room to play with um, in this first anthology, which uh, is titled, uh, minutes to midnight, the hour between life and death. Uh, it's about perspective. It's just, it's, it's just about this vague concept of perspective. And throughout the course of these stories, these short stories, I'm working with, you know, handfuls of, of artists that I have yet to work with a couple of artists that are familiar to you, uh, based on the Helix project to tell all of these different genre stories that sort of loosely tie into this idea of perspective. So there's um, there's a story about immortal warlords in there. There's a dystopian sci-fi future story. There's a supernatural murder mystery. Um, there's a story about um, uh, about businessmen uh, in the future. Uh, there's a potential comedy in there. Uh, I, I I wrote out a comedy story. I don't know if it quite fits um, in in with the overall theme of this anthology i may use it for another one um but it, it's really like i said an opportunity for me to work with a lot of new talent and build a lot of new creative relationships and get to tell a bunch of different stories and i'm, I'm really proud of some of the concepts that um that i've been able to generate for the anthology and it also gives me the opportunity to maybe make a really really nice specialty product you know because it's a nice uh, digestible collection where people can read, uh, 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 you know, over a handful of different short stories in there. I can, I can really, I think up the production quality of that book in a way that I haven't gotten to do yet, despite the fact that, you know, the, the physical print of the books that I have now are two times thicker than what you're getting at the two biggest publishers in the industry. I really, really want to, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm always aiming to to stretch myself in terms of my output, but I think that the anthology will really give me an opportunity to do that. Well, let's put it this way. When you're ready to talk about it at length, you know who to drop in, uh, an email to, mm. and we'll be ready to talk to you about it whenever you'd like. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really <laughs> excited. I am hoping so... The way that the sort of timeline of things works out, um, I think that around the time we'd be crowdfunding issue six of Area 51, the Helix Project, I will probably be working on developing, um, on producing the art for the anthology. The nice thing is, is because they're all short stories being worked on by different artists, theoretically, you know, having them all sort of operate around the same time. Sure. Um, I think we'd be able to turn around the anthology a lot quicker than I would um, a 24-page comic that's a long done by a book. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because I, I think, I, I mean, I don't have a, a strict structure. Like, in each short story isn't going to be the same page length, strictly because I want to allow those short stories to take as much or as little time as they need in order to be told properly, um, and to be able to curate the experiences that we're going for. But you know, we're roughly going to have probably anywhere from six to eight stories in there. Um, that are going to be anywhere from maybe five to 10 pages. So, um, 
I, I very much think that, you know, knock on wood, that the that the turnaround time will be relatively quick. You can hope. And, you know, <laughs> like I said, when we're ready to go, please let us know, because right now what we're talking about is Area 51, the Helix Project, which is halfway through its run. Uh, episode three is on the website. Episode four is in Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And episodes five and six are coming out fairly soon, one would hope. Trevor Fernandez-Linkowitz is the guy who does it. And he's this wonderful producer who's welcome back here anytime. Trev, thanks for coming on, my friend. Oh, man, thank you guys for having me. It's, it's always a blast getting to sit down and uh, and shoot the shit with you guys. And, and you know, <laughs> I, I, actually, it's what's great is uh, you can look at the progress in real time. As we've been talking in real time, uh, the Kickstarter is now $19 away from breaking six grand. Uh, so it's moving. I hope anybody listening um, considers giving it a look. It's uh, it's certainly a passion project of mine. Uh, and, you know, as 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 Dome and Cam have have discussed, I, I think that, um, you know, it's it's a great way to invest in a, in a young creator and, and to be able to watch them literally grow uh, in their ability in real time. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, guys. It's always an, it's always a blast. Hey guys, this is the second half of episode 110. Uh, it's me. Uh, Cameron went scurrying away. Uh, he got the soundtrack recording to uh, Hamilton the Musical. Uh, not not the one you're thinking. It's George Hamilton the Musical. He's really enjoying it. Uh, he's been humming, there are no good mariachi bands in Boston all day. It's driving me crazy. But that's okay. Uh, and... Uh, while we got a chance, and I've locked him in the closet, uh, I've got some time uh, to talk about uh, another Kickstarter that is that is coming up as well. And I'd like to introduce my good friend, good friend of the the, the cast, and uh, incredible content producer, uh, um, George O'Connor. George, welcome back, my friend. Thank you so very much, man. It's awesome to be talking with you again. Um, it it is. He, he, George, you're like one of my oldest friends in the biz, quite Aww. frankly. Seriously, I mean, we have been since I've been doing the cast. Yeah. Literally, we've been friends. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, and the cool part of this is that whenever you've had work coming out, I've had the chance to talk about it. I've had the chance to do stuff with you with it. I mean, everything from 664, which is some of the funniest, bestest work ever. Thank you. Um, through through uh, Healed, yep. uh, both both the comic book and, and the movie, which I thought was uh, some of the finest stuff, uh, to Charlie Spot, which I thought was just just a moving piece of of uh, of. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to call it a comic book because it was more than that. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's the because it was more than that. Well, I I appreciate it, and you know, it's something I love. Um, and you know, I'm getting the joy with Charlie Spot right now of seeing it come out into comic book shops. You know, the first issue yeah uh, dropped uh in at the end of December. Um, and as we're recording this, in theory. Because of shipping, you know, it, it's been caught up in the whole supply chain thing. But in theory, issue two is hitting uh, stands Wednesday, February 9th. So if all wow. goes well, wow. yeah, so if that's, all goes that's well. Great. Yeah. Um, you know, it, and, you know, through it all, I mean, through through everything, you know, your support has been like one of those consistent things, you know. And what I really appreciate is the love and support that we have for each other it's not based around what are you doing it's based around how are you exactly right? and and you know these projects and these cons and all this stuff they're just nice gateways for a chance to just 
chat and catch up. They're good times to play more than anything yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and grab a sandwich together and have a cup of coffee more than yes. anything else. Yes. But, you know, I, I wanted I wanted to grab you for, for tonight's show to talk about uh, this Kickstarter that you've got going on. Because tonight, for some reason, ended up being Kickstarter night. I'm not <laughs> sure how it happened. Uh, but I got an email uh, last week uh, from from your Kickstarter warning guide. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the heads up. Yeah. Hey, here's an here's one coming up the pike. Yep. Uh, uh, for the weirdest thing you've come up with. Well, no, no, I can't say that. <laughs> I honestly can't say that because every 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 piece that you come up with has its odd little twist. And, and this one sure as hell has it. It's called toddler apocalypse. Yes. And it's a 64 page anthology about the hardest part of surviving the apocalypse, which is your kids. Mm -hmm. So where did the idea for this anthology come from so it started with uh my friend and you know longtime collaborator diana porter um you know we've been friends for 20 years and along that time while i've been doing comics and music she's been busting her ass in the new york and boston acting scene as a writer actor director producer and all that stuff um and a couple years ago she dropped me a line and said hey I've got this idea called toddler apocalypse and basically showing how all of these apocalyptic scenarios, the worst part about tr the worst part of them isn't trying to survive the aliens or the killer robots or the zombies. It's trying to survive your own damn kids. Um, <laughs> and you know, she, she sold me on it in one sentence. And so we, you know, it just, I could see it, you know, I, I love an idea that you're either in or out, with one sentence um and i thought it hit on a lot of stuff it hit the sci-fi nerve it hit the parental sure. nerve it hit the you know loving a good spoof nerve um and so we got together and we just started talking about it you know it was a wonderful uh dinner at uno's um <laughs> and at the end as of most it, things are as you both, know, you know um, yeah, most of my brainstorming ideas are just, you know, vehicles to uh, thin crust pizza. Um, but at the end of it, we had this document of eight different stories, you know, like two or three sentences for each one. You know, each taking a, a riff on all of those apocalyptic tropes, whether it's the killer tidal wave, the nuclear fallout, the Mad Max type of scenario, that type of thing. But how if you throw your kids in there, it just all goes even more sideways. Um, and, you know, Diana's idea, so she originally kind of envisioned it as a web series. Um, and we could absolutely see it as a web series, but we right. realized if you're good, like good spoofs need to hit a certain um, production quality. So, you know, so it, the spoof makes sense. Um, and, you know, if you so if you can't make a killer tidal wave look like it's about to destroy New York City, if you can't make that believable, you take people out of the story and you've kind of lost it. And we just realized we weren't in a position where we could get those production qualities to where we would be happy with. So I think when we had that realization, Diana kind of went, well, that was, you know, that was a fun night of brainstorming with George. There we go. But for me, like once an idea burrows its way into my head and it hits that tipping point of, oh, no, this needs to see the light of it's day. It's like a mind worm, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was like, I was I just I couldn't let it go. Like I said, it was too good of an idea. It was sure. too easy of a pitch. Um, and it's just one of those things like once I can like see it again, it's really hard for me to walk away. So. Um, so, you know, like I said, I think Diana had said, you know, had, had thought that that was mothballed, but it was kept in my head. 
Um, over the last two years, one of the things I have been more conscious of on Twitter, which is where I spend most of my online time, is creating a timeline that made me happy. That if I'm going to go on Twitter, I want, you know, I want good dopamine. And so that was keeping an eye out for artists that were just doing good stuff. So every time I'd go onto Twitter, I could just see more pretty art. Um, and what comes along with that is, you know, seeing somebody post some pages and going, oh, I would love to work with them. You know, and somebody else, oh, I'd love to work with them too. And, you know, this, this, this pressure builds and builds and this list grows and grows. And then finally, my brain connected these two synapses of there's this increasing list of people you would love to do a project with. There's this anthology idea in the ether. Bring the two together. Um, and so I brought the, the idea back to Diana and said, hey, what would you think about shifting media? You know, um, and bringing it into the comic book world. And she got it. She understood it. I also showed her, like, look, here, here are the six artists. If we could get them, this is the quality I want. You know, and the people I was looking at and I wanted to work with were working artists, you know. Um, as the roster fell out, you know, and we'll dive into all of them in a second, but, like, I wanted to find people who were working at Dark Horse, who were working right, at... Right, 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 right. Working at... Well, I that's, that's one of the things that freaked me out. And going through the 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 artists who, who did this, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, there's you don't go, well, I've never heard of this guy before. Right. Or if I haven't heard of this guy before, I probably should have. Right. Um, and again, that's that's just it's what I wanted to do. And um, so since these, you know, the quality of these people were at a certain level, it also made a whole lot more sense and made it more possible to say, hey, could you fit an eight-page story into your schedule? Right, right. Versus, hey, do you want to do a five-issue, you know, hundred-page story? It's basically asking somebody out for coffee versus getting married. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And and so that that so that was the pitch, and also you know paying you know a real rate, and and be and making it as professional. Uh, uh, experience as possible so you know doubling back real quick so i told diana like this is the quality that i'm aiming for i want to put a book together that if somebody else were creating it i would be insanely jealous of them that 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 it might not be very christian but that's what i wanted <laughs> i wanted people to be jealous of this book um and jealous of you know that my name was next to these to these people um and so I will long story long. Um, ultimately, the way it shook out is we have six amazing artists: Alex Cormick, Clay McCormick, Kath Lobo, Jordi Perez, Fernando Pinto, and Jay Sheik. Um, some of them, Alex and Clay, I've I've actually physically known for years. I've, I was going to say we've them. worked. We've, yeah. You guys have worked with them a couple of times. Um, I haven't worked with them, but I've hung out with them a ton. I've been at conventions with them. I've gone out to dinner with Clay and Alex. I've been to wrestling events with Clay before, you know, so they were, they were like the friends I really wanted to work with. Um, and with Kath, Jordy, Jay, and Fernando, these were those people that I was cultivating my timeline with. And if I had any, um, interaction with them it was you know a twitter thread of them posting something me going this is really pretty them saying thank you like that was really the extent of the relationship i had with them but i also know like i three out of the four of them i'm pretty sure are parents as well and that was kind of one of the x factor we were going for was you know finding parental artists and creators because this i i think the pitch sells itself i think it digs a little deeper if you are a parent if you do <laughs> you know you know yep. if you do know the struggles of trying to get your kid out the door quickly and all of a sudden you know their shoes are too itchy and so they cannot possibly leave 
now take that whole scenario of trying to leave in a hurry, but you're trying to leave in a hurry to catch the last bus to the fallout shelter. You know, um, that type of thing. Of running away from the killer tidal wave, but you realize your child has left their favorite toy behind. And what do you do in that scenario? So again, you know, it's all these universal truths of being a parent and the love and frustration that comes with your kids wrapped up in the sci-fi tropes and, you know, world-ending tropes that we're, we all know. Um, and then once we had the artists on board, we were originally going to launch the Kickstarter Black and White and, you know, have coloring the book be like our first big stretch goal. And then we decided, what the hell, let's just go for it. Um, and so I got to reach out to four colorists, um, Leslie Atlansky, who, uh, was a colorist on Silent Night was the graphic novel I did a couple of years ago. Uh, got to reunite with her. And so she's doing one of the stories. Andrew Crossley, Matthew Nickerson, and Ellie Wright are also on board doing the colors and just doing amazing, amazing things. Um, we're in the coloring phase now. So my inbox, you know, just this morning, Leslie sent all of her colors for her story, and it's gorgeous. You know, she and she's doing Jay Sheik's story, and it's just like they they together they found how to make the funny funnier and the gut punches gut punchier, and it's just <laughs> wonderful. And the other two members of the team, uh, Justin Birch, is lettering the whole book. Um, so you know, we've got that nice connective thread between all of it and Justin is basically lettered for everybody you know IDW Dark Horse Image you know all of these people um, and again he's a parent and watching you know, so he gets it he, um, and just watching his lettering make the jokes hit harder um, is just again just watching everybody take these kernel of ideas and just elevating them um, and then for the Kickstarter, the last special thing we did is we are doing a limited edition hardcover uh, edition of the book with a cover by uh, Joe Mulvey, who, again, is another guy I have known for years and years and years. He is he's he's just a wonderful human being with a beautiful family and the absolute wrong sense of humor for this book. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of wish fulfillment going on in this book and what's amazing is everybody has had you know a wide berth to tell their story and they all have their own unique art style and when you lay this book front to back it all feels like it's the same book like it's all should fit together um and i think because yeah. Oh, dog. All right. I'm gonna pause. Tell your dog. Now that's fine. Okay. All right. I mean, there's kids. There's dogs. Welcome to America. <laughs> um, I know somebody. Somebody outside had the uh, temerity to walk down the street. How dare they? Yes. So, oh my. And this dog, like his name's Henry. He acts tough when you're outside. Of course. The you walk in, you know, you're his best friend and could throw a ball for him. So, like, he's not fooling anyone. Really? <laughs> so there you go, Sci-Fi Saturday Night fans. My dog, Henry. Um, I have completely lost where I was going. So Not I'm going to pause and take a drink. I think we should all just <laughs> pause and take a drink. For those of us who are still allowed to drink from doctor's orders. Whatever. Ah. <laughs> but yeah, man. It, so, oh, I figured. So one of the things I can do with a project like this is I can make it as enjoyable and fulfilling for the creative team as possible. Like that's the one thing I can control. I have no idea what's gonna happen with this Kickstarter. I have no idea if the world will love it, if a small pocket will love it, I don't know. But what I can do is I can make sure the artists are empowered to tell the story they wanna tell. Oh, sure, yeah, and yeah. Use their talents to their best ability so they can be satisfied with the job as well, so they can have fun with the job as well. Because what I've learned over the years is actually the less control I take, the better the end product is. You know, um, I've, I've just become super comfortable like pointing at a target, kind of like you know setting up the guardrails, and if I have to, I'll nudge them left and right. 
But like, however they get to that target, I don't care. They hit the target and they put themselves into the work. And that's where it elevates from, you know, the idea Diana and I had to this bigger thing. Um, and I can be the biggest cheerleader for them as, as they need. Um, I can be the sympathetic, empathetic ear, uh, because we all know in the best case of scenarios, life gets lifey. Um, and yeah, that's right. What, that's I, a good way to put it. Yeah. I knew what I was about to say and I knew who I was about to say it to. Um, <laughs> and you know, the fact of the matter is we were put in this book during, you know, the most recent COVID spike. So things got delayed because families got COVID. What, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. All you can do is support, send love, send your best, and, you know. And hope for the rest. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm proud of that. I am proud that, you know, when, when one of the team members did get their life derailed a little bit, and they were like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm back. I'm going to start working on it. My first thing was like, okay, when you're ready, but like it's your family. You don't start, you don't pick up a pen until you're mentally ready. And he just wrote back going like, I've never had anybody say that before. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You know, um, because again, I think the end product will be better, you know. Um, and that's, you know, I want to create, we have created a book that I think looks fantastic reads fantastic and you know not only does the spoofing comedy thing that you expect but because of what the artists have brought to the table i think there is a heart into this book that even i didn't expect when we first started to put it together but people like kath lobo and jay chic what they brought to their stories kind of reminded us that we could actually say something a little we could have fun while also saying something a little deeper about parenting as well um, which I think, again, elevates the entire project. I think um, one, one of the things that I've always admired about whatever work you've put out is, um, <clears throat> and frankly, no matter what it's been, there's always been a level of humanity in it mm. that uh, I've always thought, no, no matter how farcical it's been, or yeah. how how grounded it's been, it's always there, and I've always enjoyed that about you. Enjoyed that about what it is you've done, um, and that's why when this story this this book came about, it didn't come as any surprise to me because. it was a logical extension mm. of everything else that you've done. It was, it was, it was a, a next logical progression. It's like your family is important. Yeah. And here you go. Let's, let's make this one happy. So <laughs> I, um, the only thing that annoyed me about this, this, this whole kickstarter project <laughs> and, and i'll be quite honest with you was that i couldn't use any of the add-ons because i already have all of them <laughs> uh you're beautiful that yeah. having that having been said the book is called toddler apocalypse yep which is a mouthful <laughs> but it's a cool mouthful it's, and it's, it, it's true it's true any parent understands the world ending chaos that a child can suddenly bring to the day the hour or the moment and the people who are bringing it to you are George O'Connor who's ostensibly responsible for this silliness <laughs> and his his uh, cohort in crime here, Diana Porter, who he's known forever, and just decided I'm going to share a meal with and get this project off the ground. And gosh, it looks like a ton of fun. 
uh, the link to the Kickstarter is on our webpage. If not, I dare you to, I defy you to learn how to spell toddler apocalypse and find it on Kickstarter. <laughs> Anyhow, George, thank you so much for joining oh. us. I really appreciate having you on. Uh, thank you. You know, if anything, I always want to take these opportunities to thank you for over 10 years of friendship, love, and support. Uh, and I love you, and I appreciate you and the entire sci-fi group for everything you've done. And I always look forward to the next time we get to hug face-to-face. Whenever that may be, it'll always be a lot of fun. That's all I can tell you. Hey, thank you, man. Thank you. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is made possible with the support of Granite Con and Double Midnight Comics, Plastic City Comic Con, the Upper Valley Comic Expo, Dreamforge Anvil and Dreamforge Magazine, and Comic Art House. If you're looking for a great gift idea, may we suggest Sci-Fi Saturday Night's anthology, My Peculiar Family, available on Amazon. The audiobook is also available on Audible. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. Check out all of his amazing work at robwattsonline.com. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their discography is available on Bandcamp. Thank you so much, Jojo. This is Dome saying shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. So unless it's daytime, good night, everyone. There once was a girl from Nantucket. Good night, everybody.